This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. We're so glad you're joining us today at Pantsuit Politics, where we try to take a different approach to the news. And we're going to take a very different approach today. We want to kind of step back and examine some really positive shifts. Sarah called them paradigm shifts as we were talking, and I think that's a really good way to reflect on it. Where are we seeing good things and new things happening, not as a result of individual choices necessarily, but coming from larger societal, cultural, environmental forces? And then outside of politics, we're going to tell you about our travel plans for the year because that is Sarah's favorite subject to talk about. It is, actually. Yeah, these are the types of conversations we love having. And if you enjoy them, you would probably really enjoy our newsletter. It offers us a chance to reflect on the conversations we're having on the show. So last week, we had a conversation with Gabrielle Blair about perimenopause. It had a very uh, commiseration vibe. (laughs) And then I wrote a piece in the newsletter about how being aware of my hormones has really changed my life for the better in ways, too. We always include listener recommendations and listener feedback in the newsletter. So if you are not already subscribed, we would love for you to be. It's just once a week. We're not going to overwhelm your inbox. So head to the show notes or our website, pantsuitpoliticsshow.com, to subscribe. Before we start talking about good news, we want to spend a moment with tragic news. Our hearts are with everyone impacted by the mass shooting that took place in Monterey Park, California, when a 72-year-old gunman shot and killed 10 people in a ballroom dance studio as that community celebrated the Lunar New Year. It's hard to know what to say. When every mass shooting in America is singular and unique and also part of this long, horrific pattern, as we're recording, there's a lot that we don't know, and particularly a lot we don't know about the victims of this crime. Right now, as we're recording, we just know that most of these victims were in their 50s and 60s and that they were practicing a very popular Chinese dance. I read this morning about some of the ways that Chinese people respond to tragic news, and I loved learning that instead of saying, I'm sorry for your loss, they might say, this happened too suddenly. And I Mm. think that feels right. This happened too suddenly, and we are very sad about it. Next up, we are going to examine some good news trends sparked by consumerism. Hmm. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth that makes it feel special makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. 
That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Sarah, I think one of the things that I've learned most through our conversations over the last seven years is how to balance my really deeply ingrained sense of individual responsibility with an understanding of how we are impacted by things beyond ourselves. And I think that's given me a greater sense of grace for when things go wrong. But today we want to think about what we can learn from things that are going right when we consider more than just our individual decisions and actions. So... We're going to talk about some developments that we think represent really good news and what we can learn from the context that creates all of that good news. Yeah, I've really tried to focus on this in our good news brief on Thursdays on the premium community because, you know, good news as it's constituted in mass media, a lot of times is just those individual choices, right? Like this person did the right thing. Or these people raised money to pay for this person's medical treatment. And while I'm not like downplaying the positive impact of individual choices like that, to me, good news is more than that. And we've talked about that on the podcast with Brandon Harvey. We'll link to that in the show notes that it's really noticing these trends. And sometimes the trends are composed of individual choices, but almost never is this some sort of, you know, simultaneous accident like (laughs) where we all started shifting these behaviors sort of anecdotally, but accidentally altogether. Um, There are always forces playing on our choices inside institutions, outside institutions, and in community together. And I think when we can see those macro trends and think about how we talk about them as just individual choices, it's really helpful. What kicked this episode off as we were doing some brainstorming about things we wanted to discuss was you saying you wanted to revisit our conversation about alcohol Mm -hmm. and the shift in our culture around alcohol. And as I was preparing, I found research that Americans are consuming fewer drinks per week than we have in 22 years. Wow. We have an entire culture around being sober curious. Dry January is not receiving as much attention this year. It's because a lot of people are like, how about just mostly dry all year long? Yeah, I mean, I've noticed this in my personal life. I mean, neither you nor I drink. I don't drink because it sets my stomach on fire. I want to be able to drink a cocktail or two, but I keep trying and my body's like, no, sis, we're done there. But I, you know, I have a lot of people in my life who became sober over the pandemic. My husband and I talked a lot about like, it felt like over the pandemic, people either leaned all the way into drinking to the point where it was detrimental to their health. And there are lots of studies out there saying that they've seen this spike in like liver damage with younger and younger people, particularly women, or people leaned all the way out and said, 
I'm done. Or like started maybe leaning all the way. And remember at the beginning of the pandemic, we were doing all these cocktail Zoom hours. And I think people were using alcohol to mark the end of the day because it's hard to mark the end of the day if you work from home. And then all of a sudden, you know, they were feeling the impact of that. And then you start to see these conversations that I was having in my own life. And then these conversations on social media. I mean, every single ad right now I have on Instagram, I took a picture of like four in a row the other day, is a company selling mocktails or some sort of like CBD drink that is meant to replace alcohol. And I think that that's a part of why this is happening, because there is a lot of money to be made by creating a new category of product, by opening bars that serve fancy drinks with no alcohol in them. Mm -hmm. It's opened up like a whole new avenue for culinary creators and small businesses and big companies to say, like, let, let's serve a, a previously underserved market. Yes. This weekend, Nicholas and I went to see Lake Street Drive in Nashville, and we went to Audrey, Sean Brock's new restaurant that you and I have also been to. And the drink menu is just two equal sides, one that has proof and one that has zero proof. You know, Sean Brock has been very open and honest about his own struggles with alcohol. And I love it. When I go to a restaurant like that and I want a fancy drink and they have an entire menu of options, that are zero proof or mocktails or whatever you want to call it, it just feels inclusive in the best possible way. And it's not just the presence of those drinks. I've noticed in my own community that we've started either hosting activities or sort of reinstituting activities that don't involve alcohol. So much of our social calendar in my town revolves around alcohol, distillers dinners and wine dinners. And it's such a bummer if you don't drink. And so like this weekend, we're going to a dinner, like a Scottish dinner that celebrates everyone's Scottish heritage, which is not hard to find in Western Kentucky. And I'm so excited because it's like this really fun event we all get to go to together that we're all excited about. It also involves dressing up, which is an extra layer of fun. But it's not revolving around alcohol. I'm sure there will be alcohol there, but it's like that's not the focus of the whole entire thing. And it is hard to think, well, how much of this is fueled by the the new industry? And I've just I mean, this is my old age coming to play, but it just feels like, does it have to be a bad thing? Like, will we probably overcorrect as we are wont to do in American culture? Maybe. But alcohol, you know, as we discussed in our previous episodes about alcohol culture, is so powerful, not just the industry, but the culture. To me, like, well, yeah, you're probably going to need a little backup if you're going to chip away at this. And if some of that backup comes from companies that want to sell you non-alcoholic beverages, like, I'm kind of fine with that. I just feel like when you're tackling such a big piece of our culture and you're trying to shift it, and not take it out, like, I'm not trying to eliminate alcohol from American society, and I don't think these companies are either, but it does feel like there's a lot of room for correction and a lot of room to open up conversations and space for choices and, yeah, even industries that can put some money in the game and sort of put the the weight on the scale in the other direction. It bothers me not at all when the potential for new people to make profit and new products and new services being offered drives a positive trend. It drives a lot of negative mm-hmm. trends, drives some positive trends. Like I, I just have no even hesitation about consumerism fueling good things. It has fueled most Mm. good things that we have, you know, most things that make life more comfortable. So I'm excited about this. And consumerism is also stepping in to fill a gap in sort of our next category of good news. 
Well, yeah. And did you see that there's also this trend? Because so much of this is driven by younger generations. Before we move on to our next thing, which is about older generations. So much of this is driven by younger generations. I think a lot of the Sober Curious movement was in particular. And now there's all this trend on TikTok that they're trying to quit nicotine, any kind of nicotine, nicotine gum, nicotine, vaping. And I thought that was interesting that there's if it feels like TikTok and Instagram, like if you're if you want to find positive social impact, this hashtag wrapped wellness trends is can be a good one because it does feel like when you're trying to change a habit, it's so hard to change a habit, any habit. It's just hard to build a good one, to tear down a bad one. And so when you can find other people out there doing that same thing, which is often how people, you know, how these social trends sort of develop, I think that's great. So the next category of positive trend that we see relates to an episode that we did last week. We shared our conversation with Gabrielle Blair about perimenopause. And we have seen that perimenopausal and menopausal women have been hugely underserved by healthcare, but they're really not underserved in the market anymore. The menopausal market size, according to a venture capital publication, is about $600 billion and growing. And if your doctor isn't comfortable and confident talking to you about your hormones, that creates a lot of space for brands to come in. So that's happening. We see telehealth companies focused on women's health, apps, drugs, supplements, creams. This is a lot like what you were saying with influencers. There is some real good out there. There is some real mm-hmm. garbage out there. Some real garbage. You, you, you don't want to just like say TikTok is a great place for wellness because you're going to find some <laughs> real bad stuff it's if so you go true. that route. And it's the same thing with these products. So this is another space. We are overcorrecting. We're going to flood the zone, and some of it is going to be bad. But hopefully this will put pressure on healthcare to step up to the plate so that we can get better information and figure out what actually helps. Yeah, this makes me way more nervous in the alcohol space. Although I do think that there are promises being made. Lord, people love to talk about aptogens. I don't know if that's a real thing or not. Um, But they're in everything, and they're supposed to make you feel better. Um, So... That, to me, some of the promises being made make me nervous, but some of the promises being made about hormones and menopause make me dang near fearful. Like, part of the issue we talked about on that episode is the lack of research. And so when all of a sudden you have all these products, you know, claiming outcomes around something like your hormones, it really, it makes me worried, And I do think there's a little bit of this that is inevitable. And I think it's, you know, I wonder if you could track this, that this is what happens, right? When you're diversifying and you have people sort of advocating for more products, more healthcare, more attention, just more attention, that it's it's like the stages of attention. Well, first we flood the zone and we have people trying to profit from this interest and we have mistakes made and people probably harmed. And then we scale it back and you have you give time for the real research to come in. And I don't think we're lacking in total research around menopause in particular, but we got a lot of good emails after that episode that were pointing out some experts that people felt were really helpful and that there's, you know, that's another thing I'm starting to see a lot of my Instagram feed. Here's another menopause expert. Here's what you need to know about menopause. And there's lots of new accounts to follow and information to gather. But I still think with the lack of prolific research, I guess is what I would use. I'm a little worried about this one. I view it as positive because of the destigmatization. Because if you have companies out there selling products, then you are going to have more conversation happening about it in public spaces. 
without the sort of weirdness that has surrounded mm-hmm. it for so long or the jokiness. I hate that most of what popular culture has done with menopause is make jokes about hot flashes. No, thank you, please. This is complicated and um, and destabilizing, you know, for people going through it. So I I am optimistic that consumerism here will force more conversations. They won't all be better conversations, right? Mm-hmm. But at least more of them and hopefully you get some better in the process. And even as you get more conversation, there are risks. I was thinking after our perimenopause conversation, the hard part about publicly talking about perimenopause symptoms is that you don't want anyone listening to minimize what they're experiencing personally by thinking, oh, well, it's probably just hormones. I wish Mm -hmm. we could permanently delete just in front of hormones for ourselves anyway. I think of that to myself all the time. Like, what a dismissive way to consider what is the driving factor of a lot of my personal health right now. But beyond that, if your heart feels weird, please go have it checked out. Please Mm -hmm. at least go through the process of elimination. So there's risk around all of this. I am happy that we're just acknowledging really significant life events for a really significant part of the population. So maybe that destigmatization is the first part of this process. Like that's, we flood the zone. We have lots of conversations. Lots of people enter the marketplace of both ideas and products to say, well, this is something we weren't talking about. And now we are. And what does that mean? And that seems to be sort of the first step of the process. We are going to take a quick break and then keep the good news rolling and talk about places where we seem ready to mix up how we think about government. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, 
is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Lest you think that only money creates good news, let's talk about some attitude adjustments that we're seeing in the public space. I wanted to just hover for a second on this headline from Axios. Exhausted majority wants to rethink K-12 education. Are those angels that I hear in the background? (laughs) So a new study shows that preparing students for college has fallen from the 10th highest priority to the 47th. That people really want their kids to learn to think, to find careers with meaning and purpose, to build character, be able to problem solve, manage money, be kind, know the basics of reading, writing, and math. And they want schools to meet those students where they are. And that is transformational compared to where we were even a year ago, I think. I think I'm struggling as we keep talking about good news because I don't know if it's good news. It feels like to me that what we're really talking about here is paradigm shifts. Now, I think all paradigm shifts are good news, but they are hard for lots and lots of people. But that's what this feels like. And that's what our, you know, the two previous conversations we just had feel like to me. It feels like paradigms are shifting. It feels like we are standing back up and getting our feet underneath us after the pandemic and looking around and saying, what do we want to do differently? You know, we had so many conversations at the the beginning of the pandemic about just this. What is this going to change? Is this going to change anything? Are we going to come together as a nation? Or is polarization going to end? Because we now have this common threat we need to fight. And I remember some depressing conversations where it felt like maybe that's not, maybe nothing's going to change. And we're just going to go through this hard thing and nothing's going to be different. And I don't think we were giving ourselves enough time, which is what we try so hard to do here at Pantsuit Politics is give things time to breathe and have space. But it does feel like now going on three years, We are finally getting the space to take a deep breath and look around and say, what wasn't working? Like, what wasn't working for me personally as far as my habits? What's not working inside our institutions? And what I think is so incredibly hopeful about this answer is that it reflects that participation in the institution. It's not just what are schools doing wrong. It's What do I expect from this? And was I expecting the wrong thing from this institution? And to me, that's incredibly hopeful. This kind of wish for our schools only works if we have a market ready to accept students, not all of whom have gone to college. And so what I view as like pretty pure good news is that we have some state governors taking the lead and saying, we don't need a bachelor's degree for every single position anymore. The dispatch referred to this as the paper ceiling, which I really liked. 
Governors Larry Hogan of Maryland, Spencer Cox of Utah, and new Governor Josh Shapiro of Pennsylvania have eliminated bachelor's requirements for a lot of state jobs. And those jobs are a fraction of a larger marketplace, but a meaningful fraction. And you see government here being a leader in providing more training to new applicants and just greater opportunity for a huge number of people. I think it's really exciting. Well, the paper ceiling is because we require college degrees for more jobs than there are people with college degrees. <laughs> it's only like it's like 70 percent of jobs and 50 percent of people have college degrees. I've been thinking about this a lot because I don't want the paradigm shift to be nobody needs a college degree. I'm thinking about this a lot as my child goes into high school and we start to have lots of conversations about college. And I want my children to go to college. I want them to get a liberal arts degree like I did that taught me how to be an analytical thinker, how to question. And I thought one of the most interesting parts of this article is when they said, you know, employers use a college degree as a stand-in for skills they need, like communication skills and those analytical skills. And I don't want to downplay that, but I do think as college got more expensive, it became sort of a certification process in a lot of places, and it wasn't teaching those skills. And I think that's a paradigm shift we need is like, well, if this is it's not just what we want schools, high schools to prepare students for. But what do we want colleges to prepare students for? Because maybe we would care more deeply about going and preparing for college if we felt like college wasn't just a very expensive license. But, you know, when I look at this list of what people want, they want it to build character. They want problem solving the basics of reading and write. Like I learned that stuff in college and in law school. You know, absolutely, my college degree made me a better person and not just a better applicant. Like, I am incredibly grateful for that experience and that degree. And I hope that we can go back to, like, a a deeper, wider requirement from this institution. And that will spread into all of public education. It's interesting that you just use the phrase go back because I looked at all of this and thought there's a COVID element for sure, but I think there's a technological element. You can't Mm -hmm. wait for college to learn how to communicate and be a problem solver in a world where you have all the world's knowledge on a phone that you can stick in your pocket, right? Knowing how to research, how to write, how to manipulate the tools at your disposal, that is just what it means to be a person now. And so you can't wait for college to impart those skills. And I think you've got to be looking at the the middle and high school level at what you actually want students to learn and how you want them to learn it. I was just having a, a conversation with a curriculum specialist about how she's learning everything she can about chat GPT because she doesn't want to just fight it. She wants to figure mm-hmm. out how to incorporate it. This is the new reality. So what can students learn about the benefits and the limitations of this new reality. And I'm so glad people like her are out there doing this. And I'm glad that we're starting to rethink what is the place of college in a society where all those analytical skills really do need to come earlier than they have before. Well, I mean, I struggle with that. You know, Griffin has been bringing me these philosophy YouTube channels, which I think is so interesting that that's what he's watching and interested in. Again, when paradigms are shifting, I think people are looking at all ages for explanations, for tools to help 
But I don't know how much of that you can do in high school. Like, how much philosophy can you teach in high school? I mean, my you know, my best friend Elizabeth's kids go to a Latin school. I think she told me quite a bit, actually. But, you know, I wasn't quite ready for it even in college. I took a lot of, like, political philosophy classes, which I really wish I could retake now because I think I'd get a lot more out of them. Um, and I think that's what's so hard is how much are we asking of young people and at how at what age are we asking that and those are really difficult questions you know i'm reading this book right now that i'm really looking forward to talking more about on the show called of boys and men and his argument is we absolutely know that boys develop differently than girls so why do we send everybody to school at the same age <laughs> why why are we doing that it doesn't make a lot of sense when we know that there are very very different things going on in their brain development and so I'm, I guess I'm kind of in this space where I'm like, well, are they up for that if we if we push these tools on them and these discussions on them earlier? But then I'm thinking, well, Griffin's hungry for that now. I think everybody, again, back to that paradigm shift, back to that sort of coming out of the pandemic and asking deeper, harder questions, is doing that. And I don't know the exact role that both high school and college should play in that. I think I lean more towards the college end of it just because I think you need to be a little bit older to handle some of this. But I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. It's like two different questions almost, like learning and and growing as a person and developing your capacity for philosophy and even for great literature and great art and all kinds of things. It's just a lifelong endeavor that we try to artificially compress because we're worried about the other track, which is career readiness. Right. Mm -hmm. There are a ton of classes I wish I could go back and take again. I thought more in the last two weeks about the African burial arts class that I took to satisfy an elective requirement than I did when I took the class itself. And I wish that I could go back and and redo some of that learning with the benefit of the 20 years of living I've done since then. And so why I love both this study and what these governors are doing is it feels like a recognition that we're trying to do an awful lot of things through the vehicle of school. And maybe we can be more flexible about how we think of some of those things, provide some of those skills that are necessary for career readiness earlier. Because whether you are going into a factory setting or an office setting or a professional setting, you do need to learn how to be really resourceful and really communicative. So we have to push some of that earlier. And then maybe some of it gets delayed longer and maybe there are more options for people to come in and just take a class here and there. And and maybe there are more ways that we reward that kind of continued development. I don't know. I'm just happy to see people mixing it up. And from the political side, to see it being mixed up on a bipartisan basis. You've got Democratic governors here and Republican governors. Larry Hogan, a Republican, starts this in Maryland. His successor, a Democrat, Wes Moore, says, I want to keep this up and mm -hmm. talks about how important it is on the campaign trail. And people have different motivations. Larry Hogan's reasons for it are probably different than Wes Moore's. There's inclusivity. There's economic opportunity. There's just the reality of the labor force. It's just nice to see people coalescing around what we've been saying for a while, which is like something about our educational system is not serving us. And so being willing to dig into that and make some changes feels really positive. I just think any institution that can meet people where they're at and I see this everywhere right now, that people are asking deeper questions. They are asking and thinking about deeper questions, and they want 
to have those conversations. Obviously, we are well-versed in that here at Pantsy Politics, but I'm seeing that way beyond that. I think even Ezra Klein's podcast for the last few episodes of the new year, I'm like, boy, Ezra, you're out there doing the work, buddy. You're like thinking through some stuff that's not policy-driven, let me tell you that. And I think the more the institutions that adapt and figure out a way to meet people where they are, I think all the time about how, what is it, the most popular class at Harvard is the the one about the like the pursuit of happiness. Like that makes so much sense to me because that's what people want. I mean, that's what we try to do here, like I said, and I think that's that's why our community is so tightly knit together because people want to feel that ability and that space to say, but why? But why are we doing this? Why does this matter? And I think that's true of all ages. So Sarah, you talked about this episode being less good news and more paradigm shifting. And I think one of the paradigms that needs the greatest amount of shifting and is the hardest to get at is our attitude about accountability and punishment. Mm. So we've talked about criminal justice reform quite a bit over the years here. Usually when we do that, we're talking about incarceration rates, mandatory sentences, drug-related offenses. But we are seeing momentum around corporate crime as well. I'm really excited about this announcement from Assistant Attorney General named Kenneth Polite Jr. And I just have to say how much I love that his name name is Kenneth Polite Jr. He announced that the Department of Justice will now not prosecute corporations for crimes if those corporations self-report and fully cooperate with investigators to uncover and fix the problems. This feels like the Elizabeth Holmes Fire Festival, Sam Bankman Freed, like memorial policy. I mean, those people are still alive, but you know what I mean? Like, I just, this feels like an acknowledgement of we have these scenarios, especially surrounding startups, where the momentum is so strong and nobody wants to go, I think we're breaking all these laws because then you've broken the laws and then you're afraid of getting caught. I mean, listen, this was the Lisa Hughes parenting philosophy. When I got caught smoking, she said, okay. You're not in trouble because you confessed. But if you do it again and you get caught, you'll be in twice as much trouble. Like, I do think people are more inclined to come forward and confess if they feel like the world isn't going to come crashing down around me. Because that shame and that protective instinct feels some truly, truly bad behavior and bad decision making. I think this works on two fronts. Because it's not an escape from accountability. If you do something wrong, you're still going to have to go through the process to fix it. You still might have to pay a fine, a lower fine than if you were prosecuted. But it saves the government all kinds of time and resources. They can just deal with this and keep a keep a company going, keep it out in the economy doing what it needs to do. On the other hand, it sends a real signal. Like if we do have to find this out and come after you, we are going to go hard at you. Like, we will prosecute very aggressively for companies that don't self-report. So here's an incentive to do the right thing, and you best do the right thing. And I think that's a great model, whether you are a mom or an assistant attorney Mm -hmm. general, you know? I mean, psychologically, people respond better to positive motivation than negative punishment. We don't like to acknowledge that in our criminal justice system, but it is true. But it seems to me, focusing on where this comes from, like this is a logical extension of criminal justice reform. It's a logical extension of the tortured conversation about cancel culture that's been going on. Just trying to figure out, like, how do we deal with it when someone screws up, even when someone does something really terrible 
what's the next step and what is society's investment in that step and how can we make that investment most productive long-term for society? So this is a really complicated program, but I just think it reflects a lot in our developing sensibilities about crime and punishment. I just mentioned the Ezra Klein show, and he just did an episode about the teachings and philosophy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. with Brandon Terry, who's an expert in Dr. King. And I thought one of the best parts of the conversation they had was about humiliation and how there is this desire to humiliate, but really a philosophy of love should be focused on redemption. I'm simplifying a very intense and complicated conversation, but it really struck me because it feels like there's just this glimmer, this very beginning conversation of humiliation is such a siren song and it gets us nowhere. It gets us just like Odysseus circling the island or whatever the sirens did that he could never (laughs) escape from, right? Like this just, this sense that we keep doing these to each other and we're not changing anything. Um, And so let's talk about other ways to motivate our fellow human beings and and, and try to, to get somewhere. Because humiliation does feel like this doom loop that we've been stuck in over the last several years. And I am incredibly encouraged by any policy, any institution, any conversation that just says, hey, is this working for us? It doesn't feel like it's working very well. That is a good segue to talking about immigration. We have a new announcement from Secretary of State Blinken about a program called the Welcome Corps. He made this announcement last Thursday. The Welcome Corps will allow groups of at least five people to sponsor refugees to live in the United States and be supported by nonprofit resettlement organizations. To do this, a group of five must raise at least $2,275 per refugee to help with apartment security deposits and clothes and furniture. These refugees will still go through the very extensive security process required for any refugees entering the United States. But what I loved is that in making this announcement, the State Department said this comes from the fact that Americans have been extraordinarily welcoming to our allies from Afghanistan, to Ukrainians displaced by war, to Venezuelans and others fleeing violence and oppression, and that this program builds on our generosity of spirit by creating a durable system for Americans to privately bring people into the country. I love this. I love this softening around the issue of refugees. I love that these conflicts that were referenced in the State Department's announcement, I think Americans understood better than some of the the factors that create refugees in the world. And I think that understanding has clearly led to an outpouring of desire to help more people. And and so I'm really excited about this. Well, there had been smaller versions of this program that they had launched. Again, one of those like slow rollouts to see if this worked, which I think is an incredibly smart and efficient way to run the government. And also an acknowledgement of criticism of the refugee program, which is We can't just let people in without any resources to help them thrive. And that's a fair criticism. And I think saying, well, also the government itself doesn't have to be the whole and complete source of any support. And let's talk or even nonprofits like we have a backlog. We have a refugee crisis globally. So how do we respond to that in a smart and innovative way? And that's exactly what this is. Yeah, I like the idea that you need to have five people. It's not like just if you are a wealthy family, you can say, well, we've got $2,200 for lots of people. Let's bring them. Five people feels like 
be at the beginning of rooting you in community. And five people with their contacts and their contacts' contacts start to really build a team around people who are new to the United States and who are coming here under difficult circumstances. Okay, lastly, as we talk about paradigm shifts around seemingly intractable problems, I'm just really excited to see that we are not out of the woods on political violence, but the Capitol Police announced that their threat investigations dropped in 2022 for the first time in five years. Yeah, hallelujah. I mean, they're still too high. This is also hard to think about. Encouraging, but kind of hard to think about as we work through the January 6th report in our book club. But any drop is to be celebrated. And look, I think this is due to the reason I feel an overall paradigm shift. I feel like people are behaving less ugly in public. I feel like people are being nicer to each other. I even checked in with my nurse and teacher friends and I said, am I inventing this to make myself feel better or do people feel less not just impolite, but like violent, aggressive. And they're like, no, it's getting better. It's getting better. And again, I think there are a lot of reasons for this. I think with regards to political violence, it cannot be underestimated what it's like to have a president that people don't think about every day because there's some big shocking headline or tweet. I think that was wearing on everyone's psyches, including Republicans. Donald Trump was exhausting to have as a president, whether you agreed with his policies or not. It was emotionally exhausting. Um, and I just don't think you can underestimate the impact of that. Um, just to have a nice, boring president who you just don't think you have whole days and you don't even think about it. Uh, you forget he's there. It's great. That's how a president should be. And so I think all of that and just like the less aggressive posture from the top matters. But I, you know, I want to flippantly say life is getting easier. I don't necessarily think it's getting easier. But it's getting more normal and it's maybe getting easier in new ways. I don't know. It, you know, I think in some ways things have changed that make life easier. These paradigm shifts around talking about our health and talking about substance abuse. I think all of that affects people's lives. It's getting harder in other ways, you know, with the economy and the instability and inflation. But it does feel to me, I've been talking to so many people about this recently, like everybody's just settling. I don't know another word for that. You know, you just tell your kids like, settle down. It just feels like everybody goes, okay. And I just feel like there's like a settling overall. I think some of that might be because however you felt about COVID and the varying ways we tried to respond to COVID, it was hard to escape some real tragedy and pain over the past couple mm -hmm. of years. And I wish that this were not true, but I just think real tragedy and pain mostly make us better. Not always. I don't, I'm not a proponent of like what doesn't kill me makes me stronger because on an individual level, sometimes what doesn't kill you makes you extremely bitter and makes you extremely resentful. And so I, I don't think it's always a straight line. Sometimes it just kills you. So, <sighs> But I think on, a, on the whole, going through really hard things fortifies a people. Mm -hmm. And to see that we have come through some really hard stuff and that we are going through some hard stuff, but being able to put that in perspective, like I would take eggs being expensive over not being able to safely see my elderly relatives. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like I have a different sense of perspective and that a mm -hmm. lot of people have a different sense of perspective. And I think having some some mandatory apartness has made us a lot more interested in togetherness on the other side of it. And seeing videos of people acting ugly in stores 
makes me never want to act ugly anywhere. (laughs) You know, I just I feel like we've just had a couple of years that are like, hey, folks, let's get real about what life is and what kind of society you want to create. Yeah, because I think, you know, grief and pain and suffering disrupt the status quo. And you do not come out of the other side of that level of disruption without some clarity. You just don't. And maybe the clarity is that you just really hate people and don't want to be around them. I don't know. Godspeed. But I do think that everyone kind of looked around and said, wait, what are we doing here? Even in the midst of people acting ugly, when we would travel, I felt this overwhelming sense of everyone else going, I'm going to be super nice. Are you okay? Do I, can, I ha- can I hold that door for you? Are you going? Like, it was just, it's like we're on a first date again as a society. And everybody's taking such care with one another and with our institutions. Like even with the public school conversation, it feels like, well, I'm frustrated. But man, I remember when I had no public school. And so how can I think about this institution differently? How can I can contribute in a more holistic and impactful way? I mean, I think even with alcohol, it became background. But when you disrupt the status quo in such a dramatic way, you don't have background. There is no background. Everything is new. <laughs> you know, everything is different, even for a short amount of time. And so, well, with, if it comes back to back into our lives, we're going to ask questions about it. We're going to ask questions about it. The disruption to healthcare, and I don't just mean COVID, but I mean, like, people didn't go to the doctor for a long time. You know, even the even the conversation around women's hormones, you know, I had a friend that said, well, I have my, my physician friend is um, having all these women experiencing autoimmune symptoms. And she was talking about this in relationship to the vaccine. I wanted to be like, yes, all those women got the vaccine. They also mostly got COVID and had an incredibly stressful Two years. So is an increase in autoimmune disorders that surprising? Probably not. And so I just think to, in our bodies, in our habits, in our jobs, in our institutions, in our relationships, everything got disrupted. And so that helps us clarify what's important. It helps us crystallize our priorities and it helps us move forward and I and and shift these paradigms that inform so much of our everyday lives. And we are glad to see some concrete manifestations of those paradigms shifting. We'll continue to talk about them. We would love to hear what paradigms you observe are in transformational modes right now. And we'll keep revisiting this subject. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? 
Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. We always end by talking about what's on our minds outside of politics. Sarah is always thinking about travel plans. Always. So let's just All let's open up a moment to talk about travel plans for this year. I'm on my way to a place planning a trip to the next place. That's just who I am. That's who I, that's who I am right now. That's who I plan to be for a while. I love to travel. Y'all know that. So, Beth, we have an exciting trip planned together. Do you want to tell the people about this? Well, on uh, Black Friday... Sarah texted me and said, you want to go to Paris in March for like a long weekend? <laughs> and I don't know what was into me that day, but I said, yeah, sure, let's do it. <laughs> and so we are. We're going to go to Paris on my birthday and spend Listen, a few days there. It's going to be great. I had a more complicated pitch than that. First of all, we both turned 40 during the pandemic and were robbed. I was sick on my 40th birthday. We were robbed. So we were robbed. And I was like, this is our do-over. Let's go pretend we're turning 40 again, but let's do it in Paris on your actual birthday. I am not a travel to Europe for a long weekend kind of girl, usually. Um, I like to go to Europe and stay there for a while because it ain't easy getting there. But these tickets were so cheap, you guys. I could not. We could not. not we could not say no. They were basically gave them to us for free. They didn't. But it felt like that. I think that uh, Chad's, yeah, sure, go ahead, has been replaced by a little bit of like, I really don't want you to go to Paris without me for the first time. He's a little sad about this, and he brings it up pretty frequently. But it'll still be fun, and I appreciate his support uh, and taking care of our girls so we can get away. And I'm excited to go with you because I know that you you know the city. I love it. I love it so much. He can lay this blame 
squarely at the feet of one Nicholas Holland, who, when he was a little drunk on Paris when we got there this summer, was like, you know, listen, with this, because we we're going through French Beat, which is a great discount line. This is where we got these tickets. You should subscribe to their emails, everybody. He was like, you should just come over here for a long weekend sometime. You can do that. You should do that. And I was like, can you write that in blood and sign your name to it? Thank you so much. So I put that in my brain. I was like, remember when you said that? <laughs> he was like, I remember. I was like, okay, cashing that in now. Cashing in that blood oath. Um, I'm really excited because I love Paris. It's basically my favorite place in the entire world. But I've always gone like for these big gotta see everything trips. And I'm very excited to go back so soon and feel like I don't have to go see. So tell Chad, that's not the vibe of this trip. You are not going to check everything off the Paris bucket list. That's not what we're doing in like four solid days. Okay. So just assure him of that. And I'm glad that's not the vibe because I don't like that vibe anywhere ever. That's not my vacation vibe. I, I like vacation to feel like a vacation. So I think it'll be fun. I like to check everything off, but that's okay. We're also going to Disney together. We're taking our families to Disney. We're going to have a live show in Orlando. Stay tuned for the details on that, everybody. Get excited. So we've got some exciting travel plans together this year. And that's not even any of our, like, trips to Texas. We love We're going to, go to Texas. Texas a lot of times this yeah, year. Yeah, we just, listen, they invite us, you guys. They love us. We love, we love them. them. We go there a lot. Yeah. It's fine. They have several Korean spas. It's a great state. It's a great, great state, the state of Texas. And we're also going to Tennessee a lot. Going to Tennessee several times. Um, East think, Tennessee. I'm excited. We got Mississippi in there some. We got an Indiana sure. event. Like several events. Why it's, not? We're going to be out and about this year, which feels which feels good. It's hard for me to talk about this today because as we are sitting here recording, I am tired in a way that I've not been tired in a long time. <laughs> I'm like almost have an infant tired today as oh, I sit no. here recording with you. But I also like to have things to look forward to. So I'm just telling myself, you will you will sleep, you will regain some energy, and then this will all feel right. really exciting and awesome. Well, and I know my national park people will ask. We're we're going to Congaree National Park over February break. We're going to go to Charlotte. That's why I was asking about Charlotte on Instagram over the weekend. I'm very excited. But I don't have any other national park plans, which is giving me a little bit of anxiety because we have a, a friend who's like, are we going to overtake you? He's like in competition with us. And it's giving me I don't want this. But no, I don't want any of this no. for you. That's terrible. <laughs> no. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, but we are going to Scotland and Ireland this summer. And London, which I'm very excited, was New York Times' number one place to visit this year. I love those lists. They put those together. I'm like, how many of these can I check off? That's where we're going over the summer. What are your summer travel plans? We're kind of on hold because my sister is going to have a baby in June. And I don't want to be unavailable, you know, right after she has the baby. I love going and staying with a new baby. So we're kind of trying to figure out what we're going to do. We know we would like to go back to Hilton Head. We did not go last year. And our children have not let us live that down they're like when are we gonna go why haven't we gone have you booked a place yet let's go so we'll probably get back (laughs) to hilton head this year at some point we've talked about alaska for a while that's still on my agenda but nothing firm yet because you know family stuff has has been our our whole all of our brain space is just family stuff i'm trying to convince you to move to alaska for a month and we'll just go do our show in alaska for a month because there are so many national parks, and I'm not going to be able to see them in like a two week span. Because that have makes to, like, me tired. Fly that, to half of listen, them. that hurts your pitch with me. <laughs> you don't have to go. <laughs> you don't have to fly to the gates of the Arctic, man. I mean, they're just—it's a journey up there in Alaska to get to all the national I'm parks. Interested? I just want to travel without pressure. I just want to travel without feeling like I must be engaged in a series of tasks while I'm on the road. It just makes me laugh because you watch The Amazing Race and I don't because that feels like what The Amazing Race is. I watch The Amazing Race because my kids love it. 
<laughs> I don't watch The Amazing Race. The reason I don't watch cooking shows. Don't show me things I can't do. I don't like that. I want to do the things. That's my that is my vibe on vacay. Let's do all the things. Listen to me. If I am on if I'm traveling and I have to run somewhere, that is a failure. Something oh, yeah, has gone dramatically wrong. I don't want any part of The Amazing Race, but it is a fun show to watch with your kids. Well, my husband's charge to me this year with regards to travel is to get better at time because I did book us two things that were just totally on different days when we were in Europe. He missed a cooking class and we missed the catacombs. And then, fun fact, I booked our entire trip to Conquery in Charlotte for the wrong weekend and had to go back and change those. That was not a cheap flight change. It's fine. He was like, can we get better at time? The details are important. And I'm like... But this is not fair because I plan basically everything. So I'm just carrying a lot here. Of course, I'm going to drop a couple. You know what I'm saying? I just, but I'm working on it. Well, I hope that all of your travel goes very smoothly this year. I promise to not, yeah, not to mess up anything major in our trip in Paris. I promise. Okay. I'm really, I'm going to, I'm going to zero in on the details and not buy tickets for things on the wrong day. Don't I worry. have total confidence in you. And also I would be fine with missing something here and there because that is very <laughs> much my vibe. Thank you all for joining us today. We cannot wait to hear all of your thoughts about these topics. You can always email us at hello at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Your email might end up, if you would like, in our newsletter, where we feature very thoughtful and interesting messages from this community. If you're not subscribed, just head over to the show notes or our website to do that. And we will be back in your ears on Friday. Until then, have the best week available to you. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman, Molly Kors, Catherine Vollmer, Lori Ladau, Lily McClure, Linda Daniel, Emily Neasley, The Hutchins, Tawny Peterson, Tracy Putoff, Sarah Ralph, Jeremy Sequoia, Katie Steigers, Karen True, Annika Uveline, Nick and Elisa Valelli, Amy Whited, Emily Helen Olson, Lee Shea McDonough, Morgan McHugh, Jeff Davis, Melinda Johnston, Michelle Wood, Joshua Allen, Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller.